Good morning. It's good to see you guys here. I just want to uh, thank all of our volunteers that came to recalibrate yesterday. I know, I know last week we got snowed out. All right, I was bummed about that, but uh, I was worried. I was like, man, is everybody going to show up to recalibrate? And we had well over 100 people here yesterday um, for our volunteer uh, recalibrate session. It was awesome. I just want to publicly thank all of our volunteers. I know that a lot of us, um, we don't really get to see the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on here, but this church is built on the backs of devoted, committed uh, volunteers and partners, um, and it's these guys that I just want to thank. So if we could just give those guys a hand clap, the people that just give and give and give. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and get in. And I had a, probably last week was probably going to be the greatest message I ever preached in my entire life. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. We all missed it. Um, but uh, we're just going to leave that one in the past and move on because I'm ADD and I like to move on. So uh, we're going to do that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to hang out there uh, most of the day. And while you turn there, if you don't, if you don't uh, have your Bible, you can quickly download our app really fast. Just search uh, Harvest Cove app, uh, and it'll come up. We have the Bible um, right in there for you, so you can just kind of thumb around with it. Um, While you do that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you for your presence, God. I want to thank you uh, just for the way that you move in this church. Um, I just want to thank you just for the way that you continually bless us and, and move in this house, God, just with your presence and your spirit, God. I pray, Lord, today, Father, I don't believe that anybody's here by accident, God. I believe that we are all here right now in this moment because you ordained it a long time ago, Father. Now, I pray, Father, as we have this service, God, we're at the end of it. Uh, no matter how bad the sermon is, God, at the end of this thing, we get to celebrate uh, two people's lives who are publicly proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ, God. And so I just thank you for that life change today. God, just be with us and bless us in your holding your precious name. Amen. So over the last um, few weeks, few months, near the end of last year, when I was really preparing um, for this series and just, I had this overwhelming desire uh, for authenticity or, or to experience things that are authentic or real. I mean, that's what, uh, that's what I, I want. And I feel like there's so much of the time uh, we have this, this desire to maybe not, almost a desire to appear as if we have something rather than actually possess it, if that makes sense. The appearance of actually doing something or being something or having something or do, uh, than actually being able to have that thing and do that thing. And, and one of the things was, and most of you guys probably have never seen this, but it was, they, they call it the greatest social media live of all time. Um, um, because there was this, uh, there was this uh, guy um, who was uh, somewhat of a, a, a snowboarder, um, and he was proclaimed to fame because of this crazy, amazing jump uh, that he made. And he, he had this picture, and uh, he had all this stuff kind of going on in it, and he was just giving people like a million likes and had so many friends come up, and everybody was just praising uh, this guy. And then come to find out after just a few, uh, they call it a reverse Google search, uh, that he had just Googled some image and kind of cropped himself into it and kind of put it up there. And... Uh, and, you know, don't act like you guys don't do that. I do it all the time when I go fishing. People, real fishermen call me out on it because if I catch a fish, it'll be like this big. And I'll do the whole, the, uh, right here so I can make it look about this long. It's really good. It's really big. And uh, so, I mean, we, we do stuff like this all the time, right? And um, it's just, and I've just been fixated on the idea of actually experiencing the real thing, like the, the, the way that God really meant for it to be, whether that was in my marriage or that was uh, uh, at the church or that was in my ministry or my calling or with my daughter or whatever it was like that. I just wanted the real thing in my friendships. And, and that's kind of where the heart of this series came from, because I realized that as I was going through different 
areas of my life or phases of my life that the Bible talks about this idea of time and that, that there's this idea of time for each and every single season or phase of our life, that it's a window and that in that moment, there was something to experience. In that moment, there was something, there was joy there, there was realness there, there was something to be experienced. But if we're investing in or we're going after, or we're chasing after the wrong things during that time in our life, there's a real possibility that when that window closes and that we get on the other side of it, we'll look back to that phase in our life and we will realize that we invested ourselves in the wrong thing things in the wrong time, and we missed what that phase of life was about, whether that's marriage or kids or ministry or purpose or calling or school or, or adulthood or 20s or 30s or uh, the age of wisdom, whatever that may be these days. I, I'm trying to get away from saying old, but you know, old people, and just, you know, it's just one of those things where no matter what it is, you just, what do you get real? And we, so we came to this, and I'm just trying to remind you guys, because we had a snow day and we have missing out, but we came to this, so what is the most valuable thing? What's the thing that we could invest in in every season of our life to make sure that we don't miss the phase, to make sure that we don't miss the point? What is the most valuable thing that we could invest in? And so we went to Jesus, who's a pretty smart guy, and he said, here's the greatest thing. The greatest thing is that you can love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. This is the first and greatest command. And you can love your neighbor like you love yourself. And he goes, all the law and all the prophets hang on on these two things. And so we came to this conclusion that, that God, our relationship with God and the way that we love him, people, which was last week's message, people and the way that uh, our relationship with them and the way that we love them. Remember the greatest message I ever preached in my life? It was supposed to be last week. These two things, God, people, and the way that we love them are the greatest thing that we could ever invest in in this life. And as I was just fixated on the idea of being real and being authentic, I started to look into these two things. And I was like, what is the, the, the engine? What is the fuel that kind of drives this engine of realness. And I was just reading through the Old Testament. And um, and you ever heard of Elijah? Everybody's heard of Elijah. No one in the no one raised their hand. <laughs> 350 people in the room. Nobody knows who Elijah is. Play along with me, man. All right, here we go. Oh hell yeah, Elijah. I thought, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Elijah, so Elijah, he, Elijah is a prophet of God, and during Elijah's time, there was a king, King Ahab, um, and he had this really awesome, nice wife named Jezebel, who was actually evil, and she uh, kind of took control of, of him and introduced this god, Baal, um, to the area, and there was all these prophets. She set up all these little temples and all these little prophets, and there were hundreds, they traveled in hordes. I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of prophets, and, um, and what was unique about these and what made uh, the people of Israel so attracted um, to this group is because when they traveled around, they traveled around in a force. I mean, they rolled deep, like entourage. I mean, just like they had hundreds of people coming, they dressed in these crazy clothes and they just chanted and they screamed. And it was something to watch. Uh, I mean, similar to like, I don't know, a train wreck or something. I mean, it was just like, you just were kind of glued to it. And, and they were so excited. These are uh, the prophets of Baal. They really were. I mean, they had so much enthusiasm and they were just, they were very far from boring people, but it kind of come down to this point that so many people had drifted away that God had, uh, was fed up with this, uh, this appearance of realness, right? That's what the Israels were so, they were attracted to this because there was so much enthusiasm and even faith and sacrifice on the parts of the prophets of Baal. And so God gets Elijah and he says, go and challenge the prophets. Go and tell them to meet on top of the mountain and, and set up a wood and an altar to be burned. And you tell them, well, you pray and they're going to pray and you're going to pray. And whatever God sets that altar on fire, miraculously, that's the God that will be served. And so Elijah comes up to the prophets. He says, meet me on top of the mountain. So everybody comes. Ahab comes. All the people of Israel come. All the prophets come. And he says, all right, prophecy, let's build this altar. So they built this altar. And he says, all right, go, prophets of Baal, do your thing. So they, 400 of them up here on this mountain. I just want you to imagine 400 prophets dressed to the nines. I mean, they are just 
pumped and they're chanting and they're screaming and there, there's so much movement and action. And, and I don't know, I thought about maybe giving you an idea of what I thought maybe they were saying and doing, but then I felt like that may be too weird and all the visitors would kind of leave, think we were crazy. <laughs> But I mean, they're just, they're just, they're freaking out, man. And I mean, it's just, it's entertaining to watch and, and there's so much movement and there's so much action and, 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 and they just keep chanting, they're dancing and they're doing their thing and nothing happens. And Elijah starts kind of mocking him, right? I feel like maybe I have a little bit in common with Elijah because he was just starting getting a little sarcasm on the side. He was like, oh, just keep going. Maybe he's on vacation or something. Just maybe he's having some hard of hearing. So he's over here taunting them and now they're getting mad. And now they listen, this is no lie. They start cutting themselves, right? I mean, this is the ultimate sacrifice here. I mean, they're starting to cut themselves in and bleed out all over the ground. I told you it'd be weird if I started doing stuff like that. And so they're just doing all this stuff. And for hours and hours and hours and hours, they're just moving and dancing. And there's so much expectancy. I mean, you have to think in their mind, they really believed something was going to happen, right? And they just do all this to the point that they're literally bleeding. Their blood is draining down. The Bible says there's so much going on. And then at the end of the day, there was just, there was nothingness. All the words they said, they meant nothing. All the actions uh, that they did, all the little gifts and the talents that they had, it, it, it meant nothing. They were nothing. And all the sacrifices, they gained nothing. And then Elijah just kind of walked up at the end of it, and he said, pour some water all on that altar. He said, we're about to do this thing for real. Make the wood wet. Pour water, dig a ditch, pour water all the way around it. All he did was bow down a simple prayer to God. God said that he came down with such force that not only did he set the altar on fire, but he licked up the water around the thing. Now, here, here's, here's my point in this. Is my fear for many of us, my, one of my deepest fears for my life, for you, for the people that go to this church, for my family, for my friends, my deepest fear is that you will live a life similar to the prophets of Baal, where there's a whole lot of action, there's a whole lot of loud noises, there's a whole lot of enthusiasm, there's a whole lot of excitement, there's a whole lot of sacrifice, there's a whole lot of religion, there's a whole lot of rituals, you've learned the game, you've done the thing, you're pumped about it, you know, you're just, you're doing the whole thing, but at the end of the day, You've never have, nor will you ever experience the true presence and the true will of God and the life that God meant for you to live. And that's what I want. I want realness. And I tell you that story because, because Paul introduces something, right? We, we, we've got, if you haven't realized where I'm going with this series, is I believe personally that the Bible says the greatest way to never miss out on a phase in this life is to invest your time in God, the way that you love in people, and the way that you love them, which makes the fuel of this whole thing what? Love. Love. Because Paul opens up this idea about love in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and here's why I hate weddings, okay? Because every wedding known to man has this 1 Corinthians 13. I've done several weddings now, and I refuse unless they beg me or ask me. I refuse to do 1 Corinthians 13 because we've just, love is patient, love is kind, Love is this, love is that, and you have no idea what you're saying, and it just sounds pretty because every other wedding has it, and I think that our, our familiar, familiarity, familiarity, familiarness <laughs> with this word, with this scripture has completely watered down and destroyed the power punch that Paul delivers in 1 Corinthians 13, and so that's what I'm going to go through today, and there's a lot, so I'm just going to kind of go through it, it quick, and if you need to leave, don't. So this is, what he, uh, this is what he says, starting off. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So he says this right here. He says, listen, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love. That's saying, listen, if, if, if I know the, I mean, what, what do you think the most beautiful language is in the whole world? When I was young, for whatever reason, everybody was just like French. French is, France is so romantic. Right? That was French. How would you guys know? You don't speak French. Right? I mean, you think, well, maybe it's Latin for you, whatever it is. I mean, you just, whatever the most, and his, Paul's whole point is like the most, if you had the most beautiful language of all the earth, or if you had the most beautiful language of, of all the angels, and everything you said was just so eloquent, and it was just so great, and it was just so amazing, and every, when people just hung on to the words, and you just, you had the power to just speak beautifully, and he says, but if you don't have love, it might as well be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So no matter what you say, if you don't have love, you really say nothing. He goes on to say, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I want you to understand what Paul's doing here. Paul's already taking the spiritual attributes, raising them above the physical, and now raising love even above those spiritual. So this is the physicals down here, the spirituals right here, and now he's even going another level. And he says, if I have the gift of prophecy... Right, that, that means if, if, I can, if I have the ability, if God has chosen me to be a mouthpiece for him, right, to, to even maybe even see the future, I just, I'm just deep-seated. I mean, me and God are like this. Like, you wake up in the morning and, and you drink coffee. I wake up in the morning and come out of the holies of holies. I'm like the greatest. I'm like Billy Graham of the century. I mean, whatever. He says, if you have the greatest prophet and the greatest prophecy of all time, he says, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. Right? I can't think of a greater thing than to be somebody who God literally speaks through. And he's saying, like uh, Isaiah and Elijah and all these great prophets, he says, if they don't have love, no matter how great they are, they're nothing. He says, if I can fathom all mysteries, right? Like these are for the rocket scientists out here. These are for the ones you're just, you're, you're so smart, you're stupid, right? You're just, you're so brilliant. Your mind is above. You begin to speak and, and I, my brain shuts down because of how intelligent you are. You have so much intellect in you, all right? He says, if you, can, if you have the, the intelligence, the brains, all right, to fathom every mystery known to man, to understand the fullness of science, the fullness of philosophy, the fullness of education, the fullness of, of everything known in the universe, but you don't have love, you are nothing. He says, if you have knowledge, all knowledge, what does all knowledge mean? All knowledge. If you know everything, I know a couple of you think you do. If you know everything, Somebody's sitting here going, Paul is talking about me right there. <laughs> Hang on, later in the message, I'm going to talk about arrogance. You just remember that thought process. He goes, if you have all knowledge, you got, I mean, you're just, I mean, you're just the man. Everyone comes to you for answers. I mean, you're just, you're, man, you're genius. But if you don't have love, you are nothing. And if I have, and this is the one I just, I think is amazing. And if I have faith that can move mountains. To all you spiritual giants. If you genuinely have enough faith and belief in God that you can literally move mountains with that faith, but you don't have love, you are nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor 
and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. See, I want you to understand the similarities between what Paul's talking about and, and the way that the prophets of Baal kind of were. I mean, they were, they were up there. They were going to give everything over. To be a prophet of Baal, you gave everything up, right? You gave everything up. You sacrificed everything to the point they were cutting themselves. He says, listen, if the two greatest things in this life, all of your resources, all of your assets, all of your money, all of your possessions, all of your wealth, if you in some glamour of glory decided to get all those things up and give them away to the poor, but you have a love, you've gained nothing, not in this world and definitely not even in the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about that. Right? You give money every week to the church. You give money every week to the charities. You give money to Christian ministries. You support the pregnancy center. I mean, you do the things that you do. At the end of the year, you, you cycle up as much money as you give it away. And, you, and you've given, I mean, even to the point that if you sold your house and sold your cars and you did everything imaginable and then you lived in a box on the side of the road and you gave it all away, even in the eyes of God, if you do not have love, you profited nothing. Even to the point if you died for your faith in Christ. If you gave over your body to hardship, if you did not have love, you profited nothing. Paul's point is that love is the greatest expression in the universe. Love is the greatest expression in the universe. It is above every. Thing else. And it says, no matter how good you are, how smart you are, how much intellect you have, all the things you've done, all the things you've acquired, or even what you've given away, no matter how good you think you are, how intelligent you think you are, no matter what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do, if you do not have love, he says, you say nothing, you are nothing, and you gain nothing, which means that that makes love the most valuable, the greatest expression in the universe. Now, just think about that just for a second, because something drives your life. Something gets you up in the morning. Something moves you. Something presses you onto tomorrow. Something pushes you in your marriage. Something pushes you in your relationships. Something pushes you in your career. Something drives you. There is a foundation at your life. For some of you, it's, it's power. Some of you, it's control. Some of it's you, the idea of success and money and riches and fame and all those things. We always talk about in comparison to God. Something moves you. Something drives you. And what Paul says is that love is the greatest thing that could drive you because love is the greatest expression. And just because, and this is why I love Paul, because Paul doesn't just say something that lofty and then doesn't show you exactly what it looks like. He shows you 15 attributes, and I'm just going to go through these kind of quick, but I feel, I feel like we need to go through these. So here's what I want you to do in these. I want you to notice two things as we kind of go through these 15 attributes really fast. I want you to notice that none of them are nouns, and all of them are verbs. Raise your hand if you think that you can be in love. Don't do it. I'm going to mess with you. Love is an emotion. Thanks, man. Love is an emotion. I love you, Joseph. <laughs> love is not an emotion. Nowhere in Scripture does love say that love is an emotion. In fact, every single time love is talked about, it is discussed as a what? As a verb, as a action. Love the Lord thy God. Action. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Action. Christ said... People will know you by the way that you love each other, action. And every single time that it's discussed right here, it's discussed as an action. I'm going to just read this really fast. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. I know we all know this because you've all been to a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered or provoked. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So I'm going to go through these really fast. Love is patient. And there's something else I want you to do. As we kind of go through these, some of these you struggle with, and some of them you don't. All right? But as we go through this, I, don't, I want you to say, love is patient, but then I want you to replace your name with it. Jordan is patient. And ask yourself if that statement is true. Why are y'all laughing at me? All right, just to be defensive really fast. In the Greek, there's two types of patience. There's circumstantial patience, and there's patience with people. Now, my circumstantial patience is questionable. All right, but I think I'm pretty patient with people, unless you're in front of me at a red light, <laughs> which, again, I would say is circumstantial patience. Love is patient. This is what true love never says to another human being. That was your last chance. True love never says to another human being, that was your last chance. That was the last time you lied to me. That was the last time you betrayed me. That was the last time you hurt me. True love. Now, I know we do sometimes, but true love. Not to your wife, not to your husband, not to your kids, not to the people you work with, not to the people you go to church with, not to the people in your life group. True love never says that was your last chance. True love is patient with people. True love is patient with people. There's 15, so I gotta go through quick. Love is kind. True love withhold what is harmful, and it gives what heals always. Always. Sometimes that means turning in a friend who did something wrong. That's still kindness. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation is, True love withholds what is harmful, what will tear down, and it gives what will heal and what will build up always. Anything else is an evil, humanistic justification. Love is kind. Number three, love is not jealous. Right? I think sometimes we, we confuse envy and covetousness with jealousy. I want you to understand what jealousy is. Jealousy is when you are displeased with someone else's success for any reason whatsoever. They gain something that you want. Maybe there's some envy in there, but it's also jealousy. If it displeases you, let me give you a great example. How many Patriots fans are bitter that the Panthers are going to the Super Bowl and you guys aren't? That's jealousy. All right? To the Panthers fans. I think Tom Brady's got 17 rings. I can't remember. Okay. How many years upon years upon years have we been jealous and displeased with the success of Mr. Brady? Right? That's jealousy. I got you, Jacomek family. Those are my people. Massive Patriot fans. We all have weaknesses. All right, that's jealousy. When you are displeased, when someone else is a true love, takes pleasure in the success of others. You desire to see the success of others. That is true love. 
You are pumped when somebody else succeeds. You're pumped when somebody else does good. You don't ever take displeasure when someone else succeeds. You are just excited. It makes you happy to see somebody else win. Love does not brag. Jordan does not brag. Hmm. Jordan does not post every picture of every big fish he ever catches on Facebook in order to grasp praise. <laughs> Why else would I do it? You ever thought about that? Well, I just wanted to share uh, my joy. No, I wanted to be like, dude, I caught a big freaking fish. <laughs> now tell me how good I am. That's why we do the things that we do, man. But true love, man, true love does not grasp for that praise. All right? True love doesn't brag. True love doesn't try to seek that honor, seek that praise. True love doesn't. So just kind of, Jordan, replace my name with your name. This is really hard, by the way, to play this game with you. Because when I say it, I'm like, God, it's true. <laughs> true love does not grasp for praise. Love is not arrogant. Remember, all you guys that were like, I'm filled with all knowledge. I'm a rocket scientist. Love is not arrogant. I want you to understand the difference. In ar arrogance, again, is something we're kind of confused about. Arrogance means that you genuinely believe you are entitled to power and position because you're better than someone else, right? All right, that's what arrogance is. True love does not grasp for power. Arrogance is this. You walk into a room and you look around and you think, I'm the most powerful person in the room. I'm the most gifted person in the room. I'm the most talented person in the room. Or if you walk in and someone else is getting that glory and you think, not them, me. Or you walk in, you think the head of the table, that's where I should sit. These are the people, your boss is always undeserving and you're always better than he or she is. That's arrogance in you. That's arrogance. You think I'm entitled to be better or higher position than I am right now. You don't make that call, God makes that call. You don't make that call, your boss makes that call. If you have any sort of authority issue in you, or any sort of issue in you where you believe that you are higher than you are, that is arrogance. True love does not grasp for power and position. Period. I mean, how many times have we experienced this in our own life? How many times have we seen this play out where I am better than them? I need to be that. I deserve that. That should be me. I'm better. You walk in. Your rules don't really apply to you. You don't really have to work for it. It's because you're better. You're greater. You're smarter. You have more intellect. You have more experience. Your boss is always beneath you. You should always be up. Arrogance. True love never grasps for power. Ever. True love waits on God to give position and to give power. Love is not unbecoming. This is translated several different ways. Most of the time it's translated as rude. But I want you to understand this because Christians were really good at, really good at this one. This paints a word picture of someone who is blunt is what this means. Right? How many people do you know, they literally verbally punch you in the throat and they justify, well, I'm just being honest. No, you're not. You're being rude and you're hurting people. And you can justify with honesty all you want, but that is not love, period, ever. Love will never rip someone down for any justification, period. Love is not unbecoming. 
Love is not rude. Love is not blunt. Love is not self-seeking. This is a big one. I personally believe that the America uh, as we know it exists today because it's been filled with a nation full of self-seeking humanists. I want to do what I want to do despite how much it bothers or hurts or inflicts someone else. I'm going to chase my happiness despite what it means to somebody else. I'm going to go after that despite what it means for somebody else. I am the most important person in the room. My wants matter more than your wants. My needs matter more than your needs. My desires matter more than your desires. And I'm going to live my life, make decisions, make choices based off what makes me happy despite what it does to everybody else. This is self-seeking. True love is not self-seeking. True love always puts self above others. False. True love does not put self above others, ever, under any circumstance, under any situation. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. Not love. It's not love. True love will always put others above yourself. It will never put self above others. In any situation, in any circumstance, when you put your wants, your needs, your desires for any justification above those of someone else in that moment, despite what you think, despite what you're planning in your head, despite your good intentions, you are being self-seeking and love does not exist in that moment. And therefore, no matter what you say, you say nothing. No matter what you have, you are nothing. No matter what you do, you gain nothing. Make sense? Love is not provoked. This is probably my weakest one. Jordan is not provoked. I'm, I'm provoked. You attack me, I'm going to attack you right back. That's the way I've always been. You swing first, you better knock me the heck out because I'm coming for you. All right, this is probably the weakest part of my personality. I have had to work incredibly hard, especially in the ministry, to when I'm jabbed, not to jab back to when I'm hit, not to hit back. When I'm cut, not to cut back. True love, agape, God's love, does not attack when you're attacked. This is by far my greatest weakness and by far my greatest challenge. I mean, how many times? And then this is the thing, is you feel fully justified, don't you? When someone attacks you and you just verbally rip their heart right out. And you're standing there like in Mortal Kombat, hearts just pulsating in your hand. You're like, ha, got them. Right? That's not love. That's not love. True love never attacks when attacked. Are you still playing the game? Jordan is not provoked. Don't make me start calling you guys out. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. True love wouldn't do that. <laughs> Love does not, just keep with me, I know there's 15, and I know our attention span's dissipating, mine is too. Love does not keep records of wrongs. Love does not keep records of wrongs. All right? That means that love does not keep records of wrongs. All right? That means that true love forgives and forgets. You don't forgive and then put it in your back pocket to slap them in the face with it later. All right? Just not, don't raise your hands, but how many times have had, you had a moment of weakness, apologize, they smile and forgive, and then six months later, they throw it back in your face, right? Hey, remember you were a loser six months ago too. Remember the time you lied? Remember the time you cheated? Remember the time you stole? Remember the time you did this? Remember the time you hurt me? Remember this? Remember that? True love never remembers. 
True love forgets and forgets, no matter how many times you've been hurt. Right? It's the greatest expression. True love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Right? So, and I, this was kind of, this is so self-explanatory, but it's also like there's a little deeper level to it. So, like, do you know how, remember the O.J. Simpson trial? Right? It's kind of coming back on because they're doing that thing with Cuba Gooding Jr. It's like the worst actor on the planet, but he's going to be O.J. Simpson. I just, don't, I just don't like him. I wish they would have cast Denzel. Denzel would have been way better, I think. Whatever. All right, O.J. Simpson, how many of you are old enough, I mean, wise enough to, you know, you, you lived right through that. You experienced that. You, you were glued to the TV. Hands. Come on. It was on every channel for like 10 years. All right, that was you not doing true love, right? You were taking some form of pleasure and entertainment of unrighteousness. That's what that means. So like when, you, when you're going down the road and there's a wreck and you turn back around so you can see it twice. And I've done that last week. All right, that's, that's taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Love rejoices with the truth. This means that love rejoices in God's truth. You, know, you rejoice in the law, you rejoice in the prophets, you rejoice in the teachings of Jesus Christ. It doesn't bring you displeasure, it brings you joy. You, you love it. That's true love is always gonna love and reach out for that. And here's what this, love bears all things. Now I want you to listen to this one. Love bears all things. This is important. This is my, God has really laid this one on my heart for marriages this morning. Love bears all things. That word bear means to cover or to protect. All right, what that means is that no matter how many times your wife or your husband hurts you or, or does something to you or provokes you, that you will always cover them and protect them and never hurt them with their weaknesses, never expose their flaws to the public. You ever seen this go out in a couple of this and, and, and families do it all the time, mothers and daughters and, and, and fathers and sons and families. It's always the people we love the most that we do this to, right? We, we know uh, what their worst weaknesses are, right? And we use that to expose them in public or to hurt them or to make people bring them down. And it says, love bears all things. Love protects through everything. Love protects through everything, no matter what it is. You never, you never leave them exposed to the world. That's exactly what that means is you never leave. It literally is using, you never leave something exposed to the weather is what it means. You never leave your, the people who are closest to you, your spouse and your children, you never leave them exposed to the conditions of this world. You bear all things. Love believes all things. True love trusts like you've never been lied to. All right. True love trusts like you've never been lied to. This is something that is growing more and more difficult for me. True love trusts like you've never been lied to. And the last one. I'm sorry. Almost the last one. Love hopes all things. All right, this just means that you never, under any circumstances, take failure as the final outcome in someone. You always believe in them. All right, you, always, you, you hope for them. You know that no matter if they fail today, you hope that tomorrow they will succeed. If they, if they fall in today, tomorrow they will walk strong. You never give up on them. And then the last one, love endures all things. Love endures all things. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. This is, this is, to me, this is like kind of the summation of them all, right? Because this is the thing, that the word that they use here in the Greek, and I want you guys, if you, if you fell asleep during the 15, I know it was long, but come back to me. Love endures all things. So this is the picture that it kind of paints, the word enduring. It's actually a military word. 
Um, and, and in the Greek, it means that if there is a, a position on the battlefield or if there is a hill or if there's a mountain, if there's a location, if there's a bridge um, that is incredibly value, valuable to the war, to the battle, and you get the command of enduring, what that means is as you go to that position or you go to that spot because of its value and you endure and you defend and you stay there and you don't give up and you don't retreat and you don't run no matter what happens. It's used several times in Greek tragedies to where someone has been given this command and they stand on the bridge or they stand on the hill and they fight and they defend even when the entire horde army rises up against them. They understand the value of this position and so they will wait there even to the point of death. Like true love endures. True love will hold that position to the point of death. I want you to think about that. True love holds that position to the point of death. Right? This right here is why God sent Jesus Christ into this world. Because when he looked down upon creation, and he looked down up in on your life and, and on who you are and, and who he said, you know what? You are valuable. And I created you and I'm not gonna give up on you. No matter how many times you've sinned against me, no matter how many times you turned against me, no matter how many times you spit in my face, no matter how many times you walked away, I'm not gonna give up on the human race because they are valuable to me. And so he sent his son down into the world to endure, to hold the position, even to the point of death because that's what it cost to save us. All right. Love endures all things. Let me tell you something right now. Let me speak to some of your marriages right now because I'm gonna tell you something. Some of you are on the brink of saying goodbye. Some of you are on the brink of walking away. Some of you are on the brink of, uh, of going through with that affair that's just been just on the brink. Some of you are just on, you've got the divorce papers in your car. You're just kind of hanging out. You've already talked to some lawyers. It's just been a part of your thought process. You're considering leaving and walking away. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. Your marriage is worth dying for. Your marriage, that love between you and your spouse, you and your husband, you and your wife, it's worth dying for. Love endures all things. Make up in your heart and make up in your mind that if there's anything in this life worth fighting for, has to be the one that you promised before God you would endure with forever, even unto death. Love endures all things, man. Some of you guys, man, you've got some kids and they're freaking out right? They're just going crazy. They're lying and they're cheating and they're stealing and there may be drugs involved and there may just be chaos involved and violence and you don't know what in the world you're going to do and you don't know how you've done everything you know to do. Love endures all things. There's nothing more valuable in this life than a human being, especially one that you produced. Never give up on them. Never walk away from them. Endure everything that they ever bring to your doorstep to the point of death because they are worth it. Endure through that thing, man. I'll tell you something. Some of you guys, man, like you're kind of going through this life and you're, and you're doing the emotions and, you, and there's something in your heart and your mind you know that you were put on this earth to do. 
You know you were put on this earth to do this thing, whatever it is, man, whether it's, it's preaching or it's teaching or it's a missionary or it's starting a nonprofit organization or it's doing whatever it is, that thing that something God has called you to do. But for whatever reason, you've kind of went a different direction or you kind of went into the marketplace. You kind of went in with a different career. You kind of went a different place. And, and you just know in the back of your mind that God put you on this earth to do this other thing, but you've kind of gotten too comfortable. You've kind of gotten too easy. It's kind of done this other thing over here. And what I'm telling you right now is that thing, that thing you know in the back of your heart, that calling, that ministry, that purpose that you know in the back of your heart is the thing that God told you to do. No matter what I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging with you, endure everything because God put you on this earth for a purpose. Don't let anything else pull you away from that thing. True love endures all things. Love is the greatest expression in the universe because of the very next statement that he makes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Paul writes these three words. Love never fails. Love never fails. Well, what am I supposed to do in this situation? You love because love never fails. Well, what am I supposed to do when she starts doing this? You love because love never fails. Well, what am I supposed to do when he comes down on me like this? You love because love never fails. I want you to understand that this world was created because God loved us before he even knew us. I want you to understand that we were saved on the cross of Jesus Christ because he loved us despite our sins. I want you to understand that the greatest expression, the greatest thing in the existence of the universe is love. And if there was ever something to chase, if there was ever something to go after, if there was ever something to invest in, if there was ever something to spend 2016 trying to do and trying to conquer and trying to become, it's becoming and acting out and expressing agape or the love of God because love never fails. Love is the reason why here in just a few minutes, two people are going to come up and be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit because they experience the expression of love that Christ sent to humanity on the cross. Because I'm telling you, some of you guys, you sit down, you had your little goal-setting days, right? And yet, here's the things that I'm going to accomplish this year. Here's the things that I'm going to do. And I'm going to chase after this. And I'm going to try to go after this career. And I'm going to try to go after this position. I'm going to try to do this education. I'm going to try to save this money. I'm going to try to invest in this. And I'm going to try to do this. And I'm going to try to gain this. And what I'm telling you is all of that without love is worthless. The greatest thing you could do in 2016 is to wake up tomorrow morning and start loving God and loving people like you never have in your entire life. Let that be the greatest thing you go after. Let that be the greatest thing you chase after. And how do I know that it will end well for you? Because love never fails. Money always fails, right? Fame always fails. Riches always fail. I want you to understand this. Why is gold so valuable compared to everything else, compared to wood, compared to rocks? Why is gold so valuable? Gold is so valuable because you can't destroy it. You can melt it, you can turn it, you can shape it, but you can't, you can break it up into a million little dust particles, but gold is always there. That's why gold has always been the most valuable asset because we kind of see it as something that can't be destroyed. Paul ends this entire monologue with this right here. He says, there are three things that will remain forever in this life and in the next, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest thing you will experience in this life, and it's the greatest thing that you will experience on the other side of death. What I believe that we will see when we get to heaven is that the whole thing was about love to begin with. Everything is about love. 
Everything is about the way that we love, the love that we experience and the love that we give to others. Not chasing power, not chasing position, not chasing riches, not all the things that you give your life to. I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to me right now. I am telling you right now, the greatest thing you could ever do with your life is start to love like you've never loved before. And you will experience the greatest life you could ever imagine. Because love is above all things. Because love is the greatest expression in the universe. Now, I made a commitment to my life. This is the last series in this message. I mean, the last message in this series. I made a commitment that I will read through 13, 1 Corinthians 13, every single morning for 2016. And every single morning, I will read, love is patient, love is kind. And I will go through it and I will say, it's Jordan patient. It's Jordan kind. And my goal for this year is by the end of it to be able to say with truth and honesty, Jordan is patient. Jordan is kind. Jordan does not boast. Jordan is not arrogant. Jordan is not self-seeking. Jordan endures all things. That's my goal for this year. And Paul says that that should be our goal for our entire life. And so I'm going to ask you, reevaluate where you're going to invest this year. Become people who love. Because the world was created out of love. It was saved by love. And God says the only thing that will be here on the other side of death is love. You guys will stand with me. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this house, God. I pray, Lord, that you will flood our hearts with your love, God. I pray, Lord, that in our marriages, God, let us quit focusing on other people, but let us focus on how can we love them better? How can we love them more? How can we put uh, 1 Corinthians 13 into action in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships with our children, in our friendships, and the people we do life with, God? I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this house, God. I pray, Father, in just a few minutes as we uh, have a baptism, God, as there are two people who have given their lives to you, put their faith in you, publicly proclaim their faith in you, God, I pray, Lord, that we will celebrate this because it is a celebration of love. God, love that you've expressed to us on the cross, God, and love that we've expressed back through faith. I pray, Lord God, right now, let this church worship you. Let this church celebrate you and all that you've done. And I pray, God, if we conquer anything this year, God, let it be love. Lord, you are holy and you are amazing. I thank you for all you've done and all you will do in your holy and precious name.